The Three Golden Apples by Nathaniel Hawthorne Did you ever hear of the golden apples that grew in the garden of the Hesperides? Ah, those were such apples as would bring a great price by the bushel if any of them could be found growing in the orchards of nowadays. But there is not, I suppose, a graft of that wonderful fruit on a single tree in the wide world. Not so much as a seed of these apples exists any longer. And even in the old, old, half-forgotten times, before the Garden of Hesperides was overrun with weeds, a great many people doubted whether there could be real trees that bore apples of solid gold upon their branches. All had heard of them, but nobody remembered to have seen any. Children, nevertheless, used to listen open-mouthed to stories of the golden apple tree, and resolved to discover it when they should be big enough. Adventurous young men, who desired to do a braver thing than any of their fellows, set out in quest of this fruit. Many of them returned no more, none of them brought back the apples. No wonder that they found it impossible to gather them. It is said there was a dragon beneath the tree, with a hundred terrible heads, fifty of which were always on the watch, while the other fifty slept. It was quite a common thing with young persons, when tired of too much peace and rest, to go in search of the Garden of the Hesperides. And once the adventure was undertaken by a hero, who had enjoyed very little peace or rest since he came into the world. At the time of which I am going to speak, he was wandering through the pleasant land of Italy, with a mighty club in his hand, and a bow and quiver slung across his shoulders. He was wrapped in the skin of the biggest and fiercest lion that ever had been seen, and which he himself had killed. And though on the whole he was kind and generous and noble, there was a good deal of the lion's fierceness in his heart. As he went on his way, he continually inquired whether that were the right road to the famous garden, but none of the country people knew anything about the matter and many looked as if they would have laughed at the question if the stranger had not carried so very big a club. So he journeyed on and on, still making the same inquiry, until at last he came to the brink of a river where some beautiful young women sat twining wreaths of flowers. "'Can you tell me, pretty maidens,' asked the stranger, "'whether this is the right way to the Garden of the Hesperides?' On answering the stranger's question, they dropped all their flowers on the grass and gazed at him with astonishment. "'The Garden of the Hesperides!' cried one. "'We thought mortals had been weary of seeking it after so many disappointments. And pray, adventurous traveller, what do you want there?' "'A certain king, who is my cousin,' replied he, "'has ordered me to get him three of the golden apples.' "'And do you know,' asked the damsel, who had first spoken, that a terrible dragon with a hundred heads keeps watch under the golden apple tree. I know it well, answered the stranger calmly, but from my cradle upward it has been my business, and almost my pastime, to deal with serpents and dragons. The young women looked at his massive club, and at the shaggy lion's skin which he wore, and likewise at his heroic limbs and figure, and they whispered to each other that the stranger appeared to be one who might reasonably expect to perform deeds far beyond the might of others. 
go back!' cried they all. "'Go back to your own home. Your mother, beholding you safe and sound, will shed tears of joy, and what can she do more should you win ever so great a victory? No matter for the golden apples, no matter for the king, your cruel cousin. We do not wish the dragon with the hundred heads to eat you up.' The stranger seemed to grow impatient at these remonstrances. He carelessly lifted his mighty club and let it fall upon a rock that lay half buried in the earth nearby. With the force of that idle blow, the great rock was shattered all to pieces. "'Do you not believe,' said he, looking at the damsels with a smile, "'that such a blow would have crushed one of the dragon's hundred heads?' "'But the dragon of the Hesperides, you know,' observed one of the damsels, has a hundred heads. Nevertheless, replied the stranger, I would rather fight two such dragons than a single hydra. The traveller proceeded to tell how he chased a very swift stag for a twelve month together without ever stopping to take breath, and had at last caught it by the antlers and carried it home alive and he had fought with a very odd race of people, half horses and half men, and had put them all to death from a sense of duty, in order that their ugly figures might never be seen any more. "'Do you call that a wonderful exploit?' asked one of the young maidens, with a smile. "'Any clown in the country has done as much.' "'Perhaps you may have heard of me before,' said he modestly. "'My name is Hercules.' "'We have already guessed it.' replied the maidens, for your wonderful deeds are known all over the world. We do not think it strange any longer that you should set out in quest of the golden apples of the Hesperides. Come, sisters, let us crown the hero with flowers. Then they flung beautiful wreaths over his stately head and mighty shoulders, so that the lion's skin was almost entirely covered with roses. They took possession of his ponderous club, and so entwined it about with the brightest, softest, and most fragrant blossoms that not a finger's breadth of its oaken substance could be seen. Lastly, they joined hands and danced around him, chanting words which became poetry of their own accord, and grew into a choral song in honour of the illustrious Hercules. "'Dear maidens,' said he, when they paused to take breath, "'now that you know my name,' "'Will you not tell me how I am to reach the garden of the Hesperides?' "'We will give you the best directions we can,' replied the damsels. "'You must go to the seashore and find the old one, "'and compel him to inform you where the golden apples are to be found.' "'The old one,' repeated Hercules, laughing at this odd name. "'And pray, who may the old one be?' "'Why, the old man of the sea, to be sure!' answered one of the damsels. "'You must talk with this old man of the sea. He is a seafaring person, and knows all about the Garden of Hesperides, for it is situated on an island, which he is often in the habit of visiting.' Hercules then asked whereabouts the old one was most likely to be met with. When the damsels had informed him, he thanked them for all their kindness. But before he was out of hearing, one of the maidens called after him. "'Keep fast hold of the old one when you catch him,' cried she. "'Do not be astonished at anything that may happen. Only hold him fast, and he will tell you what you wish to know.' Hercules again thanked her, and pursued his way, 
"'We will crown him with the loveliest of our garlands,' said they, "'when he returns hither with the three golden apples "'after slaying the dragon with a hundred heads.' Hercules travelled constantly onward over hill and dale and through the solitary woods. Hastening forward without ever pausing or looking behind, he by and by heard the sea roaring at a distance. At this sound he increased his speed and soon came to a beach where the great surf waves tumbled themselves upon the hard sand in a long line of snowy foam. At one end of the beach, however, there was a pleasant spot where some green shrubbery clambered up a cliff, making its rock face look soft and beautiful. A carpet of verdant grass, largely intermixed with sweet-smelling clover, covered the narrow space between the bottom of the cliff and the sea. And what should Hercules espy there but an old man, fast asleep? But was it really and truly an old man? Certainly at first sight it looked very like one, but on closer inspection it rather seemed to be some kind of creature that lived in the sea, for on his legs and arms there were scales such as fishes have. He was web-footed and web-fingered after the fashion of a duck, and his long beard, being of greenish tinge, had more the appearance of a turf of seaweed than of an ordinary beard. Hercules, the instant he set eyes on this strange figure, was convinced that it could be no other than the old one who was to direct him on his way. Thanking his stars for the lucky accident of finding the old fellow asleep, Hercules stole on tiptoe towards him and caught him by the arm and leg. "'Tell me,' cried he, before the old one was wide awake, "'which is the way to the garden of the Hesperides?' The old man of the sea awoke in a fright, but his astonishment could hardly have been greater than that of Hercules the next moment, for all of a sudden the old one seemed to disappear out of his grasp, and he found himself holding a stag by the fore and hind leg, but still he kept fast hold. Then the stag disappeared, and in its stead there was a seabird fluttering and screaming while Hercules clutched it by the wing and claw but the bird could not get away. Immediately afterward there was an ugly three-headed dog which growled and barked at Hercules and snapped fiercely at the hands by which he held him, but Hercules would not let him go. In another minute, instead of the three-headed dog, what should appear but Gerirones, the six-legged man-monster, kicking at Hercules with five of his legs in order to get the remaining one at liberty? But Hercules held on. By and by no Gerorones was there, but a huge snake, like one of those which Hercules had strangled in his babyhood, only a hundred times as big. But Hercules was no whit disheartened, and squeezed the great snake so tightly that he soon began to hiss with pain. You must understand that the old man of the sea though he generally looked so like the wave-beaten figurehead of a vessel, had the power of assuming any shape he pleased. When he found himself so roughly seized by Hercules, he had been in hopes of putting him into such surprise and terror by these magical transformations that the hero would be glad to let him go. If Hercules had relaxed his grasp, the old one would certainly have plunged down to the very bottom of the sea. 
But as Hercules held on so stubbornly, and only squeezed the old one so much the tighter at every change of shape, and really put him to no small torture, he finally thought it best to reappear in his own figure. "'Pray, what do you want with me?' cried the old one as soon as he could take breath. "'My name is Hercules,' roared the mighty stranger, "'and you will never get out of my clutch until you tell me the nearest way to the Garden of the Hesperides.' When the old fellow heard who it was that had caught him, he saw with half an eye that it would be necessary to tell him everything he wanted to know. Of course he had often heard of the fame of Hercules, and of the wonderful things he was constantly performing in various parts of the earth, and how determined he always was to accomplish whatever he undertook. He therefore made no more attempts to escape, but told the hero how to find the Garden of the Hesperides. "'You must go on thus and thus,' said the old man of the sea, "'till you come in sight of a very tall giant "'who holds the sky on his shoulders. "'And the giant, if he happens to be in the humour, "'will tell you exactly where the Garden of the Hesperides lies.' "'Thanking the old man of the sea "'and begging his pardon for having squeezed him so roughly, "'the hero resumed his journey. He met with a great many strange adventures, which would be well worth your hearing if I had leisure to narrate them as minutely as they deserve. Hercules continued his travels. He went to the land of Egypt, where he was taken prisoner, and would have been put to death if he had not slain the king of the country and made his escape. Passing through the deserts of Africa, and going as fast as he could, he arrived at last on the shore of the great ocean and here, unless he could walk on the crests of the billows, it seemed as if his journey must needs be at an end. Nothing was before him save the foaming, dashing, measureless ocean. But suddenly, as he looked towards the horizon, he saw something a great way off, which he had not seen the moment before. It gleamed very brightly, almost as you may have beheld the round golden disk of the sun when it rises or sets over the edge of the world. It evidently drew nearer, for at every instant this wonderful object became larger and more lustrous. At length it had come so nigh that Hercules discovered it to be an immense cup or bowl made either of gold or burnished brass. How it had got afloat upon the sea is more than I can tell you. There it was, at all events, rolling on the tumultuous billows which tossed it up and down and heaved their foamy tops against its sides, but without ever throwing their spray over the brim. "'I have seen many giants in my time,' thought Hercules, "'but never one that would need to drink his wine out of a cup like this. "'And true enough, what a cup it must have been! "'It was as large, as large but in short I am afraid to say how immeasurably large it was. To speak within bounds it was ten times larger than a great mill-wheel, and, all metal as it was, it floated over the heaving surges more lightly than an acorn-cup adown the brook. The waves tumbled it onward until it grazed against the shore within a short distance of the spot where Hercules was standing. As soon as this happened he knew what was to be done. It was just as clear as daylight that this marvellous cup had been set adrift by some unseen power, and guided hitherward in order to carry Hercules across the sea on his way to the Garden of the Hesperides. 
Accordingly, he clambered over the brim and slid down on the inside. The waves dashed with a pleasant and ringing sound against the circumference of the hollow cup. It rocked lightly to and fro, and the motion was so soothing that it speedily rocked Hercules into an agreeable slumber. His nap had probably lasted a good while when the cup chanced to graze against a rock, and in consequence immediately resounded and reverberated throughout its golden or brazen substance a hundred times as loudly as you ever heard a church bell. The noise awoke Hercules, who instantly started up and gazed around him, wondering whereabouts he was. He was not long in discovering that the cup had floated across a great part of the sea, and was approaching the shore of what seemed to be an island. And on that island, what do you think he saw? No, you will never guess it, not if you were to try fifty thousand times. It positively appears to me that this was the most marvellous spectacle that had ever been seen by Hercules in the whole course of his wonderful travels and adventures. It was a greater marvel than the hydra with nine heads, which kept growing twice as fast as they were cut off, greater than the six-legged man-monster, greater than anything that ever was beheld by anybody before or since the days of Hercules, or anything that remains to be beheld by travellers in all time to come. It was a giant, but such an intolerably big giant, a giant as tall as a mountain, so vast a giant that the clouds rested about his midst like a girdle, and hung like a hoary beard from his chin, and flitted before his huge eyes so that he could neither see Hercules nor the golden cup in which he was voyaging. And most wonderful of all, the giant held up his great hands and appeared to support the sky, which so far as Hercules could discern through the clouds was resting upon his head. This does really seem almost too much to believe. Meanwhile the bright cup continued to float onward, and finally touched the strand. Just then a breeze wafted away the clouds from before the giant's visage, and Hercules beheld it with all its enormous features, eyes each of them as big as yonder lake, a nose a mile long, and a mouth the same width. Poor fellow! He had evidently stood there a long while. An ancient forest had been growing and decaying around his feet, and oak trees of six or seven centuries old had sprung from the acorns and forced themselves between his toes. The giant now looked down from the far height of his great eyes, and, perceiving Hercules, roared out, "'Who are you down at my feet there, and whence do you come in that little cup?' "'I'm Hercules,' thundered back the hero." and I'm seeking for the Garden of the Hesperides. Ho, ho, ho! roared the giant in a fit of immense laughter. That is a wise adventure, truly. And why not? cried Hercules. Do you think I'm afraid of the dragon with a hundred heads? Just at this time, while they were talking together, some black clouds gathered about the giant's middle and burst into a tremendous storm of thunder and lightning, causing such a pother that Hercules found it impossible to distinguish a word. Only the giant's immeasurable legs were to be seen, standing up into the obscurity of the tempest, and now and then a momentary glimpse of his whole figure mantled in a volume of mist. 
He seemed to be speaking most of the time, but his big, deep, rough voice chimed in with the reverberations of the thunderclaps and rolled away over the hills like them. At last the storm swept over as suddenly as it had come, and there again was the clear sky and the weary giant holding it up, and the pleasant sunshine beaming over his vast height and illuminating it against the background of the sullen thunderclouds. So far above the shower had been his head that not a hair of it was moistened by the raindrops. When the giant could see Hercules still standing on the seashore, he roared out to him anew, "'I am Atlas, the mightiest giant in the world, and I hold the sky upon my head.' "'So I see,' answered Hercules. "'But can you show me the way to the Garden of the Hesperides?' "'What do you want there?' asked the giant. "'I want three of the golden apples,' shouted Hercules, "'for my cousin, the king.' "'There is nobody but myself,' quoth the giant, "'that can go to the garden of the Hesperides "'and gather the golden apples. "'If it were not for this little business of holding up the sky, "'I would make half a dozen steps across the sea "'and get them for you.' "'You are very kind,' replied Hercules. "'And cannot you rest the sky upon a mountain?' "'None of them are quite high enough,' said Atlas, shaking his head. But if you were to take your stand on the summit of that nearest one, your head would be pretty nearly on a level with mine. You seem to be a fellow of some strength. What if you should take my burden on your shoulders while I do your errand for you? Is the sky very heavy? he inquired. Why not particularly so at first? answered the giant, shrugging his shoulders. But it gets to be a little burdensome after a thousand years. "'And how long a time,' asked the hero, "'will it take you to get the golden apples?' "'Oh, that will be done in a few moments,' cried Atlas. "'I shall take ten or fifteen miles at a stride, "'and be at the garden and back again "'before your shoulders begin to ache.' "'Well, then,' answered Hercules, "'I will climb the mountain behind you "'and relieve you of your burden.' "'The truth is, Hercules had a kind heart of his own.' and considered that he should be doing the giant a favour by allowing him this opportunity for a ramble. And besides, he thought that it would be still more for his own glory if he could boast of upholding the sky than merely to do so ordinary a thing as to conquer a dragon with a hundred heads. Accordingly, the sky was shifted from the shoulders of Atlas and placed upon those of Hercules. When this was safely accomplished, the first thing that the giant did was to stretch himself. Next, he slowly lifted one of his feet out of the forest that had grown up around it, and then the other. Then, all at once, he began to caper and leap and dance for joy at his freedom, flinging himself nobody knows how high into the air, and floundering down again with a shock that made the earth tremble. Then he laughed. Ho, 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 ho! with a thunderous roar that was echoed from the mountains far and near. When his joy had a little subsided, he stepped into the sea, ten miles at the first stride, which brought him mid-leg deep, and ten miles at the second, when the water came just above his knees, and ten miles more at the third, by which he was immersed nearly to his waist. 
this was the greatest depth of the sea. Hercules watched the giant until the gigantic shape faded entirely out of view. And now Hercules began to consider what he should do in case Atlas should be drowned in the sea, or if he were to be stung to death by the dragon with the hundred heads which guarded the golden apples of the Hesperides. If any such misfortune were to happen, how could he ever get rid of the sky? And, by the by, its weight began already to be a little irksome to his head and shoulders. I really pity the poor giant, thought Hercules. If it wearies me so much in ten minutes, how it must have wearied him in a thousand years! I know not how long it was before, to his unspeakable joy, he beheld the huge shape of the giant like a cloud on the far-off edge of the sea. At his nearer approach Atlas held up his hand, in which Hercules could perceive three magnificent golden apples as big as pumpkins, and all hanging from one branch. "'I am glad to see you again,' shouted Hercules, when the giant was within hearing. "'So have you got the golden apples?' "'Certainly, certainly,' answered Atlas. "'And very fair apples they are. I took the finest that grew on the tree, I assure you. Ah, it is a beautiful spot, that garden of the Hesperides. Yes, and the dragon with a hundred heads is a sight worth any man seeing. After all, you had better have gone for the apples yourself.' "'No matter,' replied Hercules. "'You have had a pleasant ramble, and have done the business as well as I could. I heartily thank you for your trouble.' And now, as I have a long way to go, and am rather in haste, and the king, my cousin, is anxious to receive the golden apples, will you be kind enough to take the sky off my shoulders again? Why, as to that, said the giant, chucking the golden apples into the air twenty miles high or thereabouts, and catching them as they came down, as to that, my good friend, I consider you a little unreasonable. Cannot I carry the golden apples to the king, your cousin, much quicker than you could? As his majesty is in such a hurry to get them, I promise you to take my longest strides. And besides, I have no fancy for burdening myself with the sky just now. Here Hercules grew impatient, and gave a great shrug of his shoulders. It being now twilight, you might have seen two or three stars tumble out of their places. Everybody on earth looked upward in a fright, thinking that the sky might be going to fall next. "'Oh, that will never do!' cried Giant Atlas, with a great roar of laughter. "'I have not let fall so many stars within the last five centuries. By the time you've stood there as long as I did, you will begin to learn patience.' "'What?' shouted Hercules, very wrathfully. "'Do you intend to make me bear this burden for ever?' "'We will see about that one of these days,' answered the giant. "'At all events, you ought not to complain if you have to bear it the next hundred years, or perhaps the next thousand. I bore it a good while longer in spite of the backache. Well, then, after a thousand years, if I happen to feel in the mood, we may possibly shift about again. Posterity will talk of you, I warrant it.' "'Pish! A fig for its talk!' cried Hercules, with another hitch of his shoulders. "'Just take the sky upon your head one instant, will you? "'I want to make a cushion of my lion's skin for the weight to rest upon. 
really chafes me and will cause unnecessary inconvenience in so many centuries as I am to stand here. That's no more than fair and I'll do it, quoth the giant. For just five minutes then I'll take back the sky. Only for five minutes, recollect. I have no idea of spending another thousand years as I spent the last. Variety is the spice of life, say I. Ah, the thick-witted old rogue of a giant. He threw down the golden apples and received back the sky from the head and shoulders of Hercules upon his own, where it rightly belonged. And Hercules picked up the three golden apples, that were as big or bigger than pumpkins, and straight away set out on his journey homeward without paying the slightest heed to the thundering tones of the giant who bellowed after him to come back. Another forest sprang up around his feet and grew ancient there, and again might be seen oak trees of six or seven centuries old that had waxed thus aged betwixt his enormous toes. And there stands the giant to this day, or at any rate there stands a mountain as tall as he and which bears his name, and when the thunder rumbles about its summit we may imagine it to be the voice of giant Atlas bellowing after Hercules.'